There is something really special about an old New England headstone carved from slate. I recently met a taphophile friend from Massachusetts, Andrew Carr, who is learning to carve headstones the old-fashioned way, by hand. He has an amazing YouTube channel and was so nice to come on the podcast and chat about our favorite subject, cemeteries. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Today, we have Andrew Carr from Stones Over Bones. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for being gracious enough to talk to us about our favorite subject and sounds like yours, cemeteries and stones. Definitely. Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. You know how Instagram will give you some suggestions of people to follow. And I just saw the name Stones Over Bones. And I was like, that is so close to mine, which is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. I was like, oh, I got to see what this is about. And then just started looking at your account and all the amazing things that you do and your videos. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we have to be friends. Well, I'm, I'm uh, really happy you reached out. Uh, we definitely uh, share a love for gravestones and yeah, happy to, to delve into it. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do? Sure. Well, my name's Andrew Carr. I was born and raised in Salem, Massachusetts, and I am a stone cutter. Uh, basically, I make graves in the same way that uh, they were made in the uh, late 1600s in New England. So cool! Yeah, it's an interesting uh, profession. Uh, it's definitely an endangered one. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm absolutely in love with it. Oh, I love it so much. When I watched your videos of you there with your tools and chipping away at the slate, I was like, okay, is this is a person I've never talked to. I've never talked to anyone who does this. And I just thought it was amazing. And that you were raised in Salem, I think is super cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it seems appropriate. It's, um, <laughs> gravestones are definitely part of my heritage. You know, I spent a lot of time as a kid just wandering around some of the oldest cemeteries in the country. Right. Uh, so they, you know, those stones mean a lot to me. So what initially got you interested in headstones? Well, like I said, it's part of my heritage. Mm -hmm. So I was you know, just always around that kind of imagery. Like in Salem, the macabre is, is very normal. So that kind of thing was always present. And, you know, as me and my brothers would always make headstones out of uh, cardboard pizza boxes for Halloween. <laughs> and I just loved that kind of feeling. As I got older, I developed a more of a, you know, a deeper appreciation uh, for what gravestones were. Yeah, I think I started getting obsessed with it uh, in 2019 uh, when I moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And I was 35 at the time. Yeah, absolutely became obsessed with it. It's so awesome. So at some point, did you start going to cemeteries more and looking at the different stones? And was it at that time in 19? Yeah, it was... Um, I moved to Cambridge in September of 2019, and almost immediately I started getting into this. I lived a few blocks away from the cemetery uh, in Harvard Square, the old burying ground. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an incredible cemetery. Mm -hmm. I was there all the time. Like, I had this book uh, written by Harriet Forbes, uh, Gravestones of Early New England, and oh, wow. I devoured that book. I was just reading it all the time. It was all about these old stone cutters in Boston and New England. Every, you know, waking minute, I was reading about gravestones, going to cemeteries all over uh, the area. 
and um, that eventually led to you know I was learning so much about it I just started to uh, I, I guess I wanted other people to kind of know about this cool stuff yeah. and there wasn't a lot on YouTube so I started this channel Stones Over Bones and would you know as I was learning about this stuff I was just you know I was making videos trying to spread uh, all this cool information about stone cutting and, and gravestones yeah and you did I love the videos super informative so I have never been to New England yet. You gotta come. That's uh, I'll show you around the best ones. <laughs> it's pretty much next on the list of where I need to go. Do you have a lot of you know cemeteries around Arizona that you go to frequently? Oh yeah, and whenever I travel, I always go to the cemeteries there. So you know I've been to cemeteries in England and Scotland and all over the place, but New England is is a little different you know and it's special it has its own unique brand kind of yeah it's it, i mean it's an incredible rich history in new england mm -hmm. um it's where gravestones started basically in america right yeah i'm so lucky to just i can get in my car and get to any you know cemetery it's wonderful to, to have that resource yeah so ours is kind of that old west Feel, you know, most of the time, a lot of deserty, which I have great photos, you know, really neat photos of different cemeteries. The closest thing I think that I have seen actually to what you have there would be the one that I saw in Scotland because it was in that time period of that the 1600s, the 1700s, where they had the skull and crossbones and all the memento mori and those things that reminded you of death and that death would be coming for you the hourglasses yeah. the winged hourglasses and it was very dark they didn't have a whole lot of hope about what was going to happen to them after they passed from this life yeah i guess it wasn't until like the late 1700s when that began to or gravestones started getting a bit more gentle, a little bit more friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the deaths, the the scary looking skull with wings became, you know, the cherub. Um, right. It's funny how funerary art changes over time and evolves. It's uh, interesting to to see how it transitioned over the years. Right, and so I think for us taphophiles, people that just love to go to cemeteries, I think that is part of it. Is the time periods, the dates, and the different motifs and art that is from that time period. And they're very distinct. I've been to many that were in that Victorian garden stage, and it's all about angels and wings and we will see you again mentality. And it seems like even the New England ones are a step up in hope <laughs> than the ones that from before where it was just skulls, crossbones, they have wings. That's true. They're, they're ascending to heaven. There's, a, there's definitely a, an afterlife aspect to it. They're kind of in between that. And so I think that that's just really special. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then at some point you decided... I'm going to try this myself. I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it started just as a hobby. I thought I'd try it. I had, an, I had an old bag of chisels from college. And um, one day I just picked them up. I contacted a, a quarry, I think, in Pennsylvania oh. and just asked them if they had any uh, slate samples. And they sent them to me. And I just started, you know, I drew out a death's head, went to the Cambridge Common, and just started chiseling away. <laughs> and it just as like a hobby, you know, just to see if I could do it. Yeah. It wasn't until basically I lost my job during COVID. Of course, COVID. Yeah. And I think it was probably one of the best things to ever happen to me because I was allowed to pursue this profession in a very serious way. I wouldn't have left that job. It was too 
you know, it was a, a great pay and, you know, there were mm-hmm. benefits and all these perks. It was like the golden handcuffs, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I kind of had this opportunity because I never would have left that job, you know. It kind of was the push over the cliff, right? The That first step, you just couldn't take it. It was too big. You know, here I was, you know, I lost my job. I could have gone back to marketing, but there was something about stone cutting that meant a lot, like it was important to do. Um, like death was, it, it was like the perfect setting for me to go into it. Like death was on my mind, like COVID was raging. Death was very prevalent. And I, you know, my father was, uh, for other circumstances, was very unhealthy. I was so nervous that he was he was gonna, you know, pass away. So at the time I started doing, like if I'm looking at this at a, like a psychological level, when I was getting into this, like I was really thinking about death on a, on a level that I hadn't really thought about it before. And I almost think uh, cut, like starting to do gravestones was almost a way to cope with it. Uh, like it was a way to take death, something that's very scary and just horrific and turning it into something beautiful, like gaining control of it. like. Uh, in some way, you know, kind of wrapping my head around it and be like, okay, like, this is a way to, for me to channel something scary into something that is beautiful and good. I remember um, it was at a Christmas party at the, it was, basically I was working at this arch- architectural firm mm-hmm. um, as a graphic designer. And I was really, you know, I was reading all about gravestones. I was doing these videos and beginning to try my own hand at it. And I met someone at the party who I think was like the director of the Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is like a famous kind of like, it was like the first garden cemetery in America. Yeah. And she, we, we just hit it off. We were, you know, just two gravestone enthusiasts chatting away. And she said that, you know, if you're interested in doing this, you should contact this guy in Rhode Island named Nick Benson. And I looked him up and reached out to him um, because he's, he's like the preeminent like he is the stone cutter he's probably the most famous stone cutter oh wow in the, in the world yeah he's a big deal and so i reached out and i just said you know I'm, hey, I'm really interested in getting into this could you recommend some chisels to get and he totally pointed me in the right direction he you know told me about the chisels and the books i should begin and that's what set me off on my stone cutting passion and i was just doing it all the time oh so cool yeah, and I was just doing, basically I started out just doing samples of uh, little letters. You know, you start with the letter I, and you get better at that. And I had these little pieces of slate, and I would just try out different letters. And, you know, I, I consider myself kind of like a, a self-taught stone cutter, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of through trial and error. Right. Lots of errors. Uh, you begin to, <laughs> right. okay, get the hang of it. And, um, yeah, I, uh, once I started getting decent, I wrote to this stonecutter that I heard about in Vermont named Michael Fannin and um, called him up and was like, Michael, uh, love your work. Um, you know, do you, do you teach, you know, students? And he said, I do, but uh, there's a pandemic and it's yeah. freezing out in Vermont because uh, <laughs> that's where his studio, his workshop is. And he said, you know, contact him in the spring when it's warmer and, you know, things hopefully have died down with COVID. And that's what I did. I I reached out back in the spring. The whole winter, I was going outside uh, with like a little easel and some pieces of slate and just, you know, uh, just cutting away, just going getting better it. and better. Yes. Just going for it. Yeah. And um, so I trained with uh, this stone cutter for about a week. I think it was like May 10th, I went up there. And that was an incredible experience because this, you know, just to see like a, you know, a, a real deal stone cutter working away. Right. It was incredible. And this guy was like one of the last generations to quarry the, the marble mines up in Vermont, okay. uh, up around the Proctor area. And so he had so many cool stories of what it was like to be down in the marble quarries and, and cut these huge slabs of stone, how, you know, how he learned from uh, sculptors in Carrara, Italy. So it was right. very cool that the knowledge that, you know, he learned goes way back, you know, all the way to Italy. And so he's kind of passed that down to me. And um, it's it's almost been a year to this day where I started doing it, like, very seriously. Yeah. And I've, I'm finally ready to, you know, do it on a commercial basis. I've started doing uh, signage and um, 
you know, pet graves to get my feet wet. Oh, I think it's so cool. I told you that I went to Carrara, right? <laughs> you did. You mentioned that. I, I mean, how long were you there for? It was just a day. We were on a tour. Uh, my daughter and I went on this trip to Italy. And, of course, we saw the David and some of these amazing sculptures. And we saw some sculptures working there near Carrera, working on their craft. And they actually handed us a chisel and the mallet and said, here's a little block of Carrera stone and you can try to carve something. It was surprising to me how hard you actually had to hit it. Yeah. To even make a scratch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought of the David, which we had just seen a day or two before, and I just thought, wow, you know? That's an incredible experience, yeah. Oh, it was it was so amazing. But we went up to the quarry and saw how, you know, the big machines doing these, they explained how they quarried the marble and everything. And the funny thing was that the dust there at the quarry is white. You know, it's the dirt. And it was actually snowing that day. We were freezing and it was like white Carrera marble mud that you're kind of walking through. And after I came home on my boots, I had this white mud dust that was stuck up in my boots and it like for a couple of years like I'd look under my boot and be like oh yep there's a little bit still there I'm taking <laughs> Carrera home with me oh that was just really cool yeah very cool I'd love to actually um see that in person someday yeah you would love that the 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 marble that I've worked on was a little piece from that area and I you know I found it in a, a, a quarry up in Vermont and it was just kind of like a leftover piece from a bigger project. And it's just, it was really cool to think that you're working on the same marble that, you know, Michelangelo, the same kind of yeah. marble as uh, these these old masters were using is still being kind of uh, shipped around and sculpted today, which is really beautiful. It is. It's, that's just so amazing. I've worked in marble, but actually I have a, I don't know, I just, there's something about slate that I like a little bit more that may, yeah, that may change over time, but... I just love the the variations in slate. You know, it's like you can get some Buckingham slate in Virginia, which is like pitch black, or you can get like a, a mottled green and purple slate, which uh, is from like this uh, quarry up in Vermont. And it's just really wonderful to kind of uh, work with the different color choices because each one also has like a different hardness. So yeah. it's, you know, I really have developed an appreciation for, for slate and uh, love working with the material. And I think considering where you're from and where you grew up and your origins, that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, Salem is uh, a very special place. And if anyone hasn't visited the cemeteries there, it's it's definitely worth the trip, especially the uh, Charter Street Cemetery. It just opened up. It was under renovations, and it's absolutely spectacular. Some of the great stones in New England are there. I actually wrote um, it's like a little booklet I made, uh, a little walking tour. I saw booklet. that. Yeah, in your video, you, I love that. Yeah, it's like uh, I chose twenty of the best stones in the Charter Street Cemetery. Uh, I should be calling it the Old Burying Ground. It's such a cooler kind of old school term than the, the old burying ground. yeah the old yeah. burying ground it was if you look at the kind of old transcripts it's you know the burying ground the old burying ground but it all kind of centers around it being a point that once projected into the south river and used to have beautiful views of the not just the river but the ocean beyond i mean the puritans really chose very scenic kind of locations for their uh cemeteries and um yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, i wrote the guide and um you know i've been selling it around salem it took me about a year to, to just write and you know research all these stone cutters mm -hmm. and a lot of tours in salem kind of focus more on the lives of the deceased whereas this right. book focuses very specifically on the stone cutters, kind of looking at these gravestones as a sculpture and, um, you know, kind of breaking right. down the aesthetics and introducing people to that world to understand it better. And I think that's kind of what drew me to your videos and posts was that difference because my podcast, we do talk about the stones and some of the symbols and things like that, but 
It's mostly about the lives of the people that are buried there. Although I do see the stones as a piece of art, it was like you took my awareness of that to another level. Oh, wow. Thank you. So let's pretend that I'm there at a cemetery and I don't know anything about graves and the old graves in um, New England. Walk me through the different parts of the stone and what they're called and what you might see in a New England cemetery. Well, usually there are two parts to a grave. Usually if you're walking around a New England burial ground, you'll see a headstone and a footstone. And the headstone is the larger of the two, and it marks the head of the grave. It's where the coffin, you know, the head would be placed underneath. And then the footstone is where the, you know, the feet are. So it kind of, you, you actually get a sense of, you know, uh, the, the family plot. The headstone, you can break down the headstone into five different areas. The tympanum, the border, the epitaph, uh, the shape of the stone, and the color. Uh, and the tympanum uh, is kind of like the arched section up top. And this usually contains visual imagery of death. So you have the iconic skull with wings. Uh, sometimes you'll have um, kind of like full-blown narratives of, uh, you know, Father Time holding back a skeleton's hand who's trying to snuff out the uh, you know the flame of life and wow. uh, it's it's kind of like the cover of a book it definitely it typically tends to grab the eye the most and um, to the sides of that are the borders and you know whereas the tympanum kind of depicted uh, death the borders tended to depict life so you would have carvings of flowers decorative acanthus scrolls vines of grapes or fruits or figs and um a really wonderful imagery you know i was thinking about the borders and i bet during the the you know the puritan days uh they would plant flowers uh in front of the grave and to see like these living flowers juxtaposed with like this frozen flower that's kind of like uh, you know just frozen in time on that gravestone must Carved have been a, stone. yeah really yeah. cool kind of visual imagery and there's like this one guy uh joseph lambson who's one of my favorite stone cutters who would always carve a a head on top of the vine almost like a a rebirth like a, a human life was uh renewed uh from the ground oh i love that yeah it was absolutely incredible i mean this is really abstract imagery at the time like keep you know this is the gravestones are probably the first art form in the colonies and it's not just sculpture but it's also a graphic design uh, art form you know with the epitaphs the letter forms how they were were they centered were they uh you know pushed to the side where you know it's so interesting how they laid out these old um epitaphs yeah you know the latin phrases that they would use uh memento mori uh fujitora um, all these kind of dire warnings to remember that you have one life on earth. It's always like you're, you're going to die. So, you know, treat every day um, kind of like a carpe diem mentality. So, yeah, you have the tympanum, the border, the epitaph. Um, and the epitaph would typically just contain, you know, I information about uh, what the person's name, the age of death, uh, relationships, who he was married to. And then the shape of the stone is really, really kind of important. Um, you know, it typically has three bumps, kind of like uh, some people think that it's uh, representing the headboard of a bed, like you're sleeping in your coffin. And uh, but, you know, it, it, it varies. Um, I love when when, you know, the, the stone cutters got more creative with it. You know, if you look at the Neil Children gravestone in uh, the granary in Boston, it's like this wide, wide gravestone, uh, super horizontal and just like pointed at the top. And um, so, you, you know, you can get really kind of, you, you had mentioned that you had been to some, some cemeteries in Scotland. And a very specific kind of uh, Scottish kind of design is like a, a top that scrolls inwards. And if you look at like um, the Joseph Tapping Stone, which is one of my favorite gravestones in Boston at the King's Chapel, that has a very Scottish kind of uh, design to it. It's beautiful shape to it, just flames out and curls in at the center. Yeah, the fifth element to kind of breaking down a gravestone would be the color, uh, which I feel like never gets enough play. Like you kind of are just seeing the gravestone. But if, like I had mentioned before, like the slate varies tremendously. It comes in a lot of different 
colors of slate. You'd think slate yeah. is gray, right? Slate is slate. That That's kind of like the first impression is just like gray, a gray gravestone. But I mean, it really, you can have a bluish or greenish slate or purple slate. Uh, the Lamson family would have uh, choose quarries that had like a striped slate. So it almost looks like, picture like a zebra pattern, but in green and purple. And it's just so beautiful to to look. It's like I waves saw that going in across one of your the videos. stones. Yeah. You kind of talk about the colors, don't you, in one of your videos? I'm all about the colors. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always like, what quarries did these guys go to? And so, uh, like right now, I'm, um, I'm trying to find the original quarries. Like I know there's some in um, Harvard, Massachusetts. There's some islands off Boston Harbor that have slates. So I actually am trying oh, to... Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to find a boat where I can uh, get to Slate Island I'm so familiar with the color of stones. When I see these quarries, I'll know, okay, this is where they were getting this from. And I'd love to actually get some slate from those old locations and start using it. So It's the Shangri-La for Andrew Carr. <laughs> yeah. Slate Island. There's not a lot of stone cutters out there today. You can count them on a hand. Really? Yeah, which is a shame because it used to be an art form. And pardon the pun, but it's it's a dying art it's form. It's a dying art form. <laughs> Not a lot of people do it. That was something that it made me think about watching your videos and looking at your account was just that I had to think did I even think about that this was something that people still did by hand? I know that there's a lot of arts and crafts type things out there. I love to quilt and I still do a lot by hand. And of course you can go to Target and get, you know, any number of quilts, but it's part of it is the art, right? And making it yourself and putting all of those stitches in by your own hand that make it really special and make it an art form and so it doesn't surprise me I guess that there's still guys like you out there but I think that this is just so cool yeah it's, there's something about something that's handmade that makes it special like if you get you know if you want to get a, a letter what's more special like an email or some piece of paper that someone put ink on and hand wrote like that is something that yes. is you treasure more and these days, totally agree. you know, gravestones are just, uh, I don't know, it's like choosing a used car or something. You go in, you see what's available, you like the color, granite, you know, put, put my name on there, some clip art of an angel. It's very generic. They sandblast the letters and it's, um, you know, a real shame. It's not, I don't know, it could be so much more, let's put it that way. And I'm looking to do very bespoke kind of things. I would like to push the boundaries of what a gravestone could look like. You know, I kind of don't want, uh, eventually I want to get to a point where it's it's unlike any gravestone you've seen before. I think, uh, you know, I really want to try to evolve it to a next step. Um, not just aesthetically, but also conceptually. This is going to sound weird, but like a gravestone today is almost like an afterthought. You know, somebody dies and... Usually the children or the spouse, they go to the memorial company or whatever, choose a grave, and it memorializes the dead. It's like looking backwards. What I want to do, basically I want to change the concept of a, of a grave so that it's no longer an afterthought. Yeah. I want a gravestone to look forwards, almost as like a message uh, to those who are living. I love it. Like I want to work with somebody while they're alive to design their headstone. Yeah, it would be like this very private, personal kind of experience, you know, in asking them, who is this gravestone for? Who is going to come to it? Uh, what do you want to say to them? And like, it's, I want the gravestone to almost be a message to the living. You know, you would choose like very personal visual image that only the immediate family would understand. Almost like, in, not an inside joke, but something that would really be touching just for them. Um, because I really think that a gravestone conceptually should be comforting 
And instead of just generic religious phrases or, you know, clip art, uh, you know, images of angels or something, you know, there's an opportunity to have a message to those people who come to the grave after you die. And so I was thinking how cool it would be that on the day of the funeral, the gravestone is unveiled for the family to see for the first time. You know, it's a final period of their life story. But at the same time, it's it's something that's communicating after the the person has died. So again, it's like right now a gravestone is looking backwards. If I was working with somebody who was living before they died, it would be a way to, you know, it's the gravestone is designed in a forward momentum fashion. It's leaving, it's it's communicating with the living after they after they die. Um, and I think that's a, a very interesting concept that I'd like to get to at some point down the line. Well, Andrew, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That is amazing. I know it's it's dark to think about, but... I don't think so, really. We all know we're going to die. I mean, many people make preparations and even pick out their caskets and figure out where they're going to be buried by their plot. Why not pick out your own stone and have it be exactly... Yeah, something completely unique, something that reflects your spirit, you know, something that you want to leave behind for, you know, the people that come to your grave afterwards. That really speaks to me. I have been saying for years that I hate modern headstones. Ugh, it's what a shame. And I've said so many times, I like as we're walking through... A cemetery, I'm, I'll tell my husband, I'm like, I don't like any of these. I don't want any of these headstones for me. And he's like, what do you want? And I'm like, I want that giant angel with the wings <laughs> spread out. <laughs> Love it. He's like, oh, uh, okay, that'll look great in this little cemetery. You know, a lot of cemeteries now won't even allow what was allowed back in the day. Like they, they have design review boards that are very, very conservative. If I was to do kind of abstract imagery that was invented in the 1600s, it would probably be turned down, which is kind of odd to think about. Or artisans back in the 1600s were more experimental than gravestone cutters today with all the, the tools they have. Ultimately, I'm, I'm hoping to start my own cemetery, which sounds crazy, but no. um, I really want to not deal with uh, the limitations of a design review board and have just utter control of kind of this cemetery look. Um, so I don't know how to go about this, but this is, a, this is like a long-term goal. <laughs> I want to buy land, you know, overlooking the ocean or lake, some beautiful piece of property that I can make into a very special um, landscaped uh, cemetery. Uh, where each stone is very, very special and unique to the to the, to the family that that wants to be in there. So that's that's definitely on my mind. I love your ideas. So I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite headstones and why? It's so hard to choose, but probably I would say my number one gravestone is on display at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Okay. And it's uh, on the, it's, you gotta go to the American wing. It's on the very back section of like the basement floor. I don't think anyone ever goes down there, but it's totally <laughs> worth yeah. the trip. It's a very, very intriguing gravestone cut by the old stone cutter of Boston, I believe 1681. John Foster was an incredible mathematician and printer and intellectual in the colonies who died very young. And his particular gravestone is just of a quality that's uh, unlike any I've, I've ever seen before. And I'm, and I'm glad that it's preserved um, in a museum. It's like I almost kind of wish more, mu I don't know, we're getting into controversial territory here. Is it okay for graves to go into museums? <laughs> right. You know, I don't, uh, it's, it's a touchy yeah. subject. Um, eventually... There will be a point where, you know, uh, cultures, like if you look at Egyptian stuff, all of that is now in museums and That's preserved. True. And, you know, when does Even that time bodies. come where it stops 
they're great. Even, I know it's like that. Oh, man, that's pushing the. I know it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how I feel about <laughs> I that, but it is sad because you know in New England we got some pretty harsh mm-hmm. winters, and every year those stones weather a little bit more and a little bit more, and eventually they will fade completely. Like every gravestone has a lifespan. And I'm on the fence, you know, part of me thinks that's the beauty of it, that, you know, it's just a part of life that, you know, you can't preserve everything. Another part of me sees like these incredible works of art that are uh, just falling apart. Like I've, I've been to so many cemeteries where you just see these beautiful stones that are in pieces or, you know, could have been preserved and would have still been intact had somebody taken the initiative and said, hey, like, this is some incredible, some of the earliest art you know, pieces created by these Puritans, some of the earliest art forms in America, when when is it okay to, to take it and, you know, protect it in a museum setting? Um, you know, a lot of the graves are, they call them abandoned. You know, it's not like the descendants of the um, family are still going. So I don't know, it's, it is a controversial subject, but I, I think I'm, I don't know, I think I would like to see more graves in museums um, because it's I just can't bear the the thought of just these wonderful works of art just just crumbling yeah so I tell guess. us more about the stone carver of Boston I saw a video that you did on YouTube about it and it was completely fascinating and really kind of helped me realize that these stones are works of art and that you can tell like an artist painting like this is a such and such by the composition and the brush strokes and the colors and the the style the technique you're seeing the same kind of thing in gravestones yeah every stone cutter had a very unique style they didn't copy each other um, they they kind of developed a unique set of letter forms and imagery and just the visual look of a gravestone was very much theirs and the more you look at gravestones like when i first started learning about this subject, you know, I was going to all these cemeteries and you begin to see sort of similar things in graves. You'd be like, oh my God, there's that ribbon that's along the top of a tympanum. And you would, I would see that over and over again. I was like, that's, you know, that's obviously done by one guy. And I was, you know, and that led me to, to really research like who, well, who was yeah. it? You know, they had, each one had like a very identifiable uh, kind of characteristics. And, you know, anyone who's interested in this, the, the names will come. The, the more you, you go to the grave, uh, the cemeteries, you'll, you'll start recognizing kind of similarities in graves. And um, I highly recommend that book by uh, Harriet Forbes, uh, The Gravestones of Early New England. That's a great starting point to learn about the style of stone cutters. Um, and uh, I mean, that's how I started. And over time, you'll just begin to learn the names of these these early stone cutters. And uh, I, th- I love that it's not definitive. <laughs> you have the stone cutter of Boston who really introduced the colonies to gravestone art. And then you had uh, Joseph Lamson, who it is believed studied under the stone cutter of Boston as an apprentice. And uh, there is this thing, I, I'm calling them kind of um, uh, transformative like periods where they're kind of doing a style like the stonecutter of Boston. So you see these stones where there are elements of what Joseph Lamson's style was to become and what uh, the stonecutter of Boston style was. And it's, you, you know, it's like 50-50. You're like, did the stonecutter of Boston do this? Or was it kind of like a very early piece of Joseph Lamson's before he kind of found his own style? And, um, you know, I just love, you know, people didn't sign stones back then. It was almost like uh, they were treated as, uh, I don't know, like a shoemaker, you know, just it wasn't seen as an art form. It was like, you know, just a, a job. You, you kind of did it and you got on with it. It wasn't seen as a kind of elevated poetic art form that it is today. And so if anything, you would get kind of like initials were rare. If a particular stone cutter was very pleased with the stone, he would, you know, sometimes put his name in the, I mean, uh, initials in the tympanum, but a full name is very rare. Um, I believe the stone cutter Henry Eames 
uh, would sign his stones uh, that were shipped down to South Carolina, and that's because you know he wasn't a local stone cutter. He wanted to advertise his his work, and so he you know if you go down to South Carolina, those old cemeteries will have actual signatures you know chiseled into the uh, grave, um, so that hey oh you like this write to me in Boston and I will. Uh, yeah, work with you to, to to cut your grave and then send it down to, to where you're living. So, yeah, super interesting. And so the stonecutter of Boston, um, no one even knows what his name is. You only know him by the signature of his work. By the style of his work, yes. Uh, his identity is a complete mystery to this day. Uh, he is only he's he, the the name the stonecutter of Boston that's taken from a letter that was written in 1673, and it refers to you know uh, I think it's a bunch of reverends in correspondence with each other, and they're saying go to the stonecutter at Boston, and that was the first reference to this guy, and so somebody it it it, it indicates that somebody is new in town who knows how to do this. Kind of, and he's work. just known as the stonecutter, or like the baker, the the shoemaker. He's the stonecutter. Yeah, and it's really fascinating to me that no one in history wrote, took the time to just write his down name. his name once. It baffles my mind. Like, who uh, was this guy? Like, he was doing such incredible work, and for his identity to be uh, completely lost to history is. It, it, it kind of like hurts, but at the same time, it's so cool because it it adds to his mystique, and I, you know, it's something I can endlessly wonder at. You know, I, there are theories that it's this guy or this guy, but it it is kind of cool that it's like this. You know, we'll never know unless some uh, will turns up that uh, happens to put the name in like probate records or something. But so far, uh, his his identity is a complete mystery. But his his style is so identifiable. Like you know when you see it. Like okay, this is that guy, um, and his work is just so prevalent in Boston. Uh, if anyone's in the area, you should definitely try to get to the Phipps Street burying ground. Um, I think that has more gravestones by this guy than than anywhere else. And uh, he's pro- he's a huge influence on my work. Like if I could ever do stones uh, that equal the 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 kind of power that that I've seen him achieve. Like, he was very experimental. Um, you know, he was he was pushing the boundaries. Like, it wasn't like he was taking a European style and um, copying it. Like, if you compare the stones of America with what was being done in, in Britain, they're very different. Um, there are skulls, but the way, the, the style that he developed was completely his own. Like, you know, you're either original or you're not. And this guy was a complete <laughs> original. And... You know, I don't know who trained him. I assume his probably parents were Masons, um, but he came with the knowledge. And at some point, if you if you align, if you like put in chronological order all of his gravestones, there is an explosion of gravestones that occurred in the colonies in 1678. Okay. Uh, the, the letter referenced him in 1673, and there's a little trickle here and there. But at some point in 1678, it was like. A little to uh, boom, <laughs> like tons of gravestones that continued for the next, you know, five or six years. And then it suddenly disappeared. Like you don't oh, see wow. a lot of graves by this guy uh, after 1684. Oh, wow. So, you know, what have you, you know, it was, did he move? Did he go back to Europe? Did he die? Um, there's just uh, endless theories to wonder at, which is part of his uh, wonderful mystique. You know? Well, after I watched your video about what his style looked like and then I went to your Instagram account and looked at some of the pictures and I was actually able to say oh yep that's the stone carver of Boston because of the eyebrows and the nose explain a little bit for the audience um, what his style was yeah well uh, you know you referenced the iconic death's head Um, he had a very unique death's head that you can really tell uh, by certain features. Um, so his skulls have a huge cranium. Just picture like a really high forehead that's somewhat cleft in the center. There's sometimes even a little size uh, line that splits the skull in half. Uh, they almost, they kind of almost feel like a, almost like a Frankenstein face, very like bulky kind of skull-like cranium. Um, the eyebrows are, have little hooks at the end 
and tend to connect almost like a unibrow in the center of the face. And then it goes down, the, uh, the eyes are usually two uh, ovals that are very close together. And then the nose is two double triangles within each other. It almost looks like a little teepee. And then the, um, the teeth are, you know, very grid-like, uh, typically about eight to ten teeth in a row. And then the, the wings have uh, like this little like picture like a, a spine, a backbone that curls underneath the chin, goes up above the ears, and then shoots down. And then there are three tiers of feathers. Um, and they're very deeply cut. Whenever I look at the stonecutter of Boston's uh, death's head, um, they're almost like they have a feeling like they're shaped out of clay. Like there's a very like, like a, I don't know the, the words to describe this, but it's very clay-like. It looked like someone pressed their thumb in the middle of those feathers. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. It's like he's just pushing his thumbs into the stone. It's very unique because a lot of death's head that came after this guy, if you look at the wings, they typically spring from the ears. Whereas this, he had like this, this, these wing bones that curled underneath the chin and came up and shoots down. And then um, uh, his epitaphs typically begin with, here lies ye body of. The easiest thing to spot is his uh, n- numeral one. If you look at the date, you know, he worked in the 1600s. So that uh, first numeral one is usually typically split in the center, at the bottom center, and curls into two little, it will, you know, little spirals. And the top is typically like a diamond terminal. And that was his own thing. Yeah, I've never seen a one that looked like that <laughs> on anything before. Yeah, it's very like dashing, like a very elegant one. And um, that is such an, that's like, that could, you know, that's pretty much his signature. It's like, okay, that's, that's a stonecutter of Boston uh, kind of stone right there. When I learned this guy, like he just fueled my obsession. I was like, wait, they don't know who this guy was. You know, it was uh, just so fun to think about. Like one of the reasons I wanted to to do the video is uh, to, yeah, to, to have people learn about this guy. Well, your videos are really great. And you do, like you're talking, you're there at the grave in the cemetery, and then it flips and you actually highlight the different parts of the stone or motif that you're talking about and so it's just super informative i'm just really impressed with all the things that you do and i just was like i have to talk to this guy this is so cool well thank you yeah it's it's it takes so much work to uh do one of those videos so i wish i I, you know, posted more, but um, when I really delve into something, I go real deep and, and just read and read and read and actually seek out the cemeteries to, to find the stones, to photograph them myself. And I'm, I like always wait for the best sunlight. Like sunlight is so incredibly important to viewing a grave, you know, it just illuminates it. And symbolically, that's kind of like beautiful. It's like this one moment during the day where it's just like that sun skims the surface and just you know, illuminates the, the imagery, the, the, the words become super legible. I mean, in, in, in symbolically, a lot of times they would face the, the gravestones uh, to a certain direction. Um, you know, symbolically, they would rise to the setting sun. So I don't think they care about the position of graves today. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, eh, there it is. But there are so many stone cutters out there. Like, I can't, there are so many videos that I have lined up <laughs> that it's just... You know, I'm trying to split my time between actually yeah. stone cutting and, you know, researching and kind of doing more videos. Um, so, well, you're a busy guy. Do you have any other favorite graves or stories that you want to share? Cemeteries are so fun to go to, especially like on a like crisp fall day. It's just to me, cemeteries are like um, outdoor sculpture gardens. If you go to the Boston, like there are a few very heavily trafficked cemeteries where you, you know, it's not really encouraged that you leave the path and get up close to it. So I actually tend to not like those cemeteries because, <laughs> like, I just want to have, uh, you know, just the opportunity to get really close and really examine the stone and um, see how it was cut and stuff. So I tend to not go to the busier cemeteries in Boston. Um, I love. 
you know, uh, going to like Bell Rock Cemetery in um, Malden is absolutely spectacular. If you go to the one in Plymouth, it has the most incredible views of the ocean. That's awesome. So I love just driving around, taking little day trips and uh, taking in these stones and um, yeah, trying to bring back the art form. Me too, friend. You fit in perfectly in this group. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be a part of it. I feel like I I came to it late in life, but uh, it's definitely become like in my life now. Um, you know, I can't wait to see what I'm doing. And like you caught me at the very beginning of my, I don't know, career in this. And I have, I just have so many crazy ideas of what it could be. We should definitely connect in another five <laughs> years when, you know, I'm really gotten deep into yes. this and uh, talk about the work I'm doing. Remember, we're best friends forever now. <laughs> yes, uh, I'll have to come to Arizona. You got to show me around the cemeteries there. Please, please do. So what's the best time to come to New England? What's the best cemetery viewing weather? For me, fall. Like I still remember in 2019 when I was really going around to these cemeteries. This one particular fall day, I was at Ipswich Old North Burying Ground. Mm -hmm. And the light was perfect. The trees were like just bursting with yellow. And it was like the the most perfect fall day I've ever had in a in a graveyard. I just totally fell in love with with that particular cemetery. Um, so you just I don't know. Wait for a nice bright day in the fall is nothing better. All right. Well, I'll plan it next fall. Let's do it. I'm holding <laughs> you to that. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. Andrew from Stones Over Bones. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we're really excited to follow your career and all the good things that you do with your own stones. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. And yeah, we should do it again soon sometime. Wasn't Andrew such a cool person? I loved learning about the old New England stones and their different patterns and meanings. And I'm so interested to watch Andrew grow as an artist and see where he goes. Also, I can't wait to go to New England someday soon and see some of the amazing stones carved by the old masters, like the old stone carver of Boston. And who knows, maybe our new friend will become the new stone carver of Boston. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and leave us a comment. We love to hear from our listeners.